Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. In keeping with the last few episodes, I'm going to talk today uh, one more time about hips. Um, There's been a lot of requests on just having some hip information. So today I want to give you my two cents on how I perform my approach. And again, um, I'm not an anterior guy. I do the posterior approach. Um, It works well in my hands. I have a very uh, low complication rate. Um, So when I do my approach, um, I do use an incision finder, um, which you can find um, from your Smith & Nephew rep. Um, it's a great tool. Um, you can make the the lines and measurements um, without the instrument, uh, as long as you know sort of the, the measurements and the angles. But I don't think that that is as important as having a way that you recreate your skin incision every time. Because if your skin incision is in a different location in every single patient, um, it alters the anatomy that you see. And that can also affect, you know, what your eye is trying to see as far as cup and stem position and just trying to expose everything. So by using this tool, um, I find that I create the same approach every single time and I can use that to my advantage. So once I mark out, you know, my skin incision, um, I make my incision with a knife, just like everybody else, um, carrying down through the fat. Now, depending on how thick that fat layer is, um, will depend on um, how deep you have to go with the knife. Uh, and then what I tend to do is I place two gelpies. Um, so I will place them at one-third and two-thirds in the incision. Because if you have an incision and you place your retractors at the furthest points at the ends of the incision and you open them up, what you'll find is you don't get as much exposure as if you move them in a little bit. And what you'll find is you'll have a much larger incision. Um, And this way you can work in that area. So once I go down through the fat with the bovi, coagulating all the bleeders, I'm trying to identify you know, my next tissue plane. And once I see that fascia there, the portion of the IT band, um, I try to use a cob and I expose about a centimeter of space. Again, this allows me to visualize my next tissue plane. Um, and at the same time, as I do my closure, I have better visualization. So I know exactly where that, that closure layer is. It's not getting hidden underneath the fat. Um, as I make my incision, I'll start distally, and I come approximately about two-thirds. And my assistant will take a marking pen and actually mark inside the incision area. So again, at the end of the case, as I do my closure, that's the first part that I close. And this way I know that I'm reapproximating the area as anatomically as possible. Before I used to make the incision, I used to actually see where the muscle would sort of disappear and I would use sort of the that point as what I would close, but I find the marking pen is even easier to see at the end of the case. Um, and then once I've made that incision with the bovi about two-thirds up, what I'm basically in line with is the more proximal gelpie. And then at this point, what I then do is I stick my finger in underneath 
slide it anteriorly, distally, posteriorly, and I come up to the proximal aspect right about where the gluteus maximus is and lift up. Now, when I do that, I make a mental note in my head of how tight that space is. And that really helps me when I'm balancing my hip and assessing my offset. You know, did I rebalance the offset appropriately correctly? Is it too tight? Do they have too much offset? Is it too loose? Do they have not enough offset? Did I not, was I not able to get my finger in there and I had to have my assistant lift the knee because it was so tight? So all that, that thing that you do that you don't really think about, it's really important to kind of keep that in the back of your head as a way of recreating the patient's natural anatomy. But once I have my finger underneath the maximus pulling up and superior, then I can take my anterior blade of my charnley and I place it anteriorly and it fits right between my two gelpies. And then what I do is then I take the posterior blade with the charnley and I place that posteriorly, again, between the two gelpies. And then bottom leg goes in, top knee internally rotates, comes down a little bit, foot goes up on the mayo stand. Because I'm putting the leg now in the position where I'm going to do a lot of the rest of my case, specifically the acetabulum. And then I will define a fascial plane in the maximus and tease that up. And the reason that I wait to do that proximal third until this point is that I've found years ago, and I've seen people do it, is that you sort of arbitrarily make your your incision and you don't realize at the time, and this is more common in big muscular guys, that the leg is externally rotated, the muscle's big, and then you're a little posterior to where you would have liked to have been in the entire case, you struggle with the gluteus maximus in your way and in your face. So what I find is that by coming up to where the maximus really starts um, and then putting the leg in the position that I want it to be in for the case and then finishing that portion of the approach allows me better exposure and then the gelpies come out. So this next part then is I'm looking at the fat laying over the external rotators and what I'll do is I'll grab my pickups and basically just off the posterior edge of the femur, I'll pull up and back. So I put it under tension and I'll take my bovi and gently tease that area down. I don't necessarily like to just use a lap sponge and pull it. I find that you tend to cause more bleeding that way if you get all those little perforators. And intentionally, you see these huge veins. I call them hip hemorrhoids. Um, so as you're teasing it back, you can coagulate those so you don't get a ton of bleeding. And then what you can also do is very gently tease that fat right off of the gluteus medius and allow that sort of triangular portion of fat to fall back. So you can see underneath the medius down to the minimus, piriformis tendon and the start of the rotators, basically up to the superior aspect of the quadratus. Now at this point, I'm going to identify my piriformis. So I have a little skinny curved retractor that I fit underneath the medius, above the minimus and above the piriformis. And occasionally I'll see this little triangular veil. So this is the time where um, you've probably had the experience where you stick your finger in it, it goes right into the plane. And then other times you just can't get your finger in there. You feel like it's stuck down, it's tethered. Um, the trick there is taking your finger and actually coming more posterior. So if you kind of work your finger further posterior, you'll find the interval between the medius and minimus is easier to identify back there. And then slide your finger forward, place a retractor, and then you're going to see there's this thick sort of triangular veil. And then what you can do is take the bovi and just tease that along towards the piriformis fossa. 
and then reset that retractor, it's going to expose your piriformis. So now you're looking at the piriformis and you have to assess, can I get to it? You know, if the leg needs to be internally rotated more, if it will, you can do that. If there's a huge amount of greater trochanteric bony overgrowth, you may even tease that back a little bit. But I'll tease both limbs, superior, inferior aspect of the piriformis tendon. And then I am aiming for the piriformis fossa. You know, there's nothing really dangerous up in that area. Um, and I'm basically burying the bovi and I'm grabbing the piriformis with my pickup so I can feel, and I'm releasing it essentially under feel because I can feel if there's a superior or inferior limb that's still attached. And the goal there is to take off the piriformis as intact as possible from the fossa so I can repair it at the end. If you take it off where you can see it, you're gonna truncate it and leave a huge stump. So if you're trying to repair your piriformis at the end, you've shortened yourself. And then on occasion, you know, I have someone... Usually it's female, older, high neck shaft angle, high, high, high piriformis that you actually can sometimes leave the piriformis attached if it's flexible enough, skinny enough, mobile enough that you can actually leave it on there. But once I pull the piriformis back, I'll tag it. And then I actually use my finger to sweep the piriformis off the capsule and really identify. I find a lot of times people either go too shallow they get scared, they get nervous, and you start cutting back and you really delaminate the piriformis. So you need to really aim deep. And worst case scenarios, you go too deep and you get a little gush of fluid. That's okay. You're going to release it there anyway. But at least you know where the depth is. But it's worst if you delaminate because now the piriformis is sort of split in two. So if you take the piriformis off in a hole, pull it back. And I like to take my finger um, and I'll pull it back. So this way I'm holding the piriformis back essentially as a retractor, but I'm also protecting the sciatic nerve. And now I'm going to make my arthrotomy. So this is that other part, which I think for a lot of people is somewhat hard to kind of figure out and visualize. This is a 3D spatial perception because what I do really depends on the patient's anatomy. And you got to put your finger in there and feel where's the head in relation to the piriformis, the rotators and the minimus. Um, is it high? Is it low? Figure out where the posterior wall, the acetabulum is, um, and make sure that you can identify it. Most commonly, what I'm doing is I'm taking my bovi and I'm starting again up high, kind of like what you were taking off the piriformis. That bovi tip is really deep under the neck, and I'm really trying to aim for like the center of the neck. So if you can feel it, try to get an idea of center just slightly above center. It's like 50 to 60% up on the height of the neck is where I'm trying to start. And with my finger holding the piriformis, I'm coming back. And what I'm trying to do is get back to the capsule at that level where I'm like one to two millimeters below the minimus, whereas more up towards the neck, I might be three or four millimeters below the minimus. I see some people that will try to come right in line with the minimus, and what I typically find is that when you do that, the capsule rolls up underneath the minimus. So at the end of the case, it's really difficult to repair capsule to capsule, and you'll see a lot of people take inferior capsule up to the minimus, which I don't believe gives you as good or as structurally stable of a repair. So by staying a little bit below the minimus, you leave a cuff of capsule that you can see so that you can then repair it. But what I'm doing is coming from the neck, posteriorly towards my finger, feeling where the, the rim of the cup is popping the labrum, then coming up over the posterior wall back about three or four millimeters. And this way I've made that limb of my arthrotomy. Now I'm going back, picking up the inferior limb, and I'll take my bovine. Again, it's almost the tip is almost blind at this point, but I'm peeling down the neck and that corner pops. So then I tag it. 
Now you can either use the tag to pull up or your finger or put a cob in there and you're going to release the tissue around the femoral neck all the way down and around to about six o'clock. And you may have some large osteophytes below the head that you really have to tease off with the bovi. And the importance of this aspect is that it opens up your exposure. It gives you a large cuff of capsule to pull out of the way when you do your cup. It gives you a large cuff of capsule that you can repair at the end of the case. But also, I believe that it causes a less traumatic dislocation. Because when you don't release that completely and you go to dislocate, it's hard. You see all this tearing, bleeding, because you're ripping all that stuff off. So if you can more gently tease all that stuff off all the way down to 6 o'clock, it makes that dislocation process a whole lot easier. And then the next part that I do is you can either do this with parameos. Um, I use an old meniscal knife um, called a smiley knife. And I'm basically popping about a centimeter of the superior capsule off that top, sort of 40% of the neck, again, to aid in my exposure and to make that dislocation less traumatic. So now that I've exposed the capsule, now I dislocate the leg, make my femoral neck cut, and then move on to the acetabulum exposure. Um, In the previous episodes, you heard a lot about how to prepare the acetabulum and how to prepare the... um, the femur, but the specific thing I'll tell you about for me, posterior approach, you know, what I do as far as the still approach part of this is that once the leg is in position, what I use is I use a a sharp, deep gelpie. Um, and what I find is that you can lift up on the inferior capsule and the bottom tooth sort of grabs that capsule. So if you're looking at a left hip, um, what you'd be looking at placing that is around the five o'clock, four 30 position. And then the top lip, I try to get between the labrum and the capsule, and sometimes that's not always easy. So I'll put it in there, and that usually is going up so I'm almost um, in line with how the arthrotomy was. And then I place a home and retractor anteriorly. And what I start with is I start by teasing off the posterior superior aspect of the labrum up to about 12 o'clock. Once I've done that, then I can reset that gelpie because I really then can define, okay, labrum's inferior, Everything above is the capsule, and I can place the gelpie to open the capsule up. If you have a large acetabulum and maybe your arthrotomy was a little bit further down on the clock face, say like 2 o'clock as opposed to up by 1 o'clock, what you can do is tease off a little that superior capsule off the posterior superior aspect of the acetabulum, which allows you then to squeeze your gelpie a little harder to pull the capsule up so you can see the superior aspect of the acetabulum. And this way, you make sure that you do an appropriate reaming and placement of your cup. And then I tease the labrum all the way around, superiorly, anteriorly, and then take that labrum out. If you need to, you can reset the acetabulum retractor anteriorly once at this point, because sometimes there'll be a piece of labrum that will get stuck that you'll pop back out so you can release that. Then I place my posterior inferior retractor, which is a wide home. And the reason I place that now is that If you place it first, if you get all your retractors in, that is always in the way of your hand when you're trying to do this superior anterior labrum excision. So I'm not doing anything there in the beginning of the case. So I don't put that in until after the superior labrum is removed. And then I can place my posterior retractor. I take out the fovea next, and I'll take out any fat ligamentum teres. And then I take out my posterior labrum. And then it goes into the whole acetabulum preparation, um, like we've talked about before. Um, and you can read or listen to that, listen to the, the femoral um, podcast on all my little tips on the femur. Now, at the closure, what I find is if you do this approach well, um, 
once everything's in and it's reduced and you put your leg back down, um, I start back at the posterior rim, posterior wall of the acetabulum. That's the first stitch that I throw to close my capsule. And then I work my way laterally, I guess, or anteriorly or up towards basically the trochanter, throwing my stitches. And if you've done a good capsular release in that way that I describe, what you find is you get three, four stitches, and you should be able to essentially close that capsule down in just that limb where you can almost not see any of the implant or maybe just the base of the neck um, before it goes into the actual femur. And then if you need to, if you have to throw a stitch or two, even beyond the posterior wall to close down, if you release anything back there, you can. And that's a great capsular closure. You know, if you can close the capsule anatomically, you know, that is one of the best ways of reducing your risk of dislocation. And then at the next point, then I put my piriformis back on. And what I try to do is tag that through back through the abductor and pull that up as close to anatomic as possible. And again, if you short yourself, you're not going to have the length. So sometimes people tack it up higher up on the muscle. But if you leave all of the length and take it off the piriformis fossa, you'll have a big piece that you can tag back up there. Um, and then the rest of the closure is basically as expected. So, you know, I hope that helps um, just kind of describe things to look for. And it's not just, a, you know, the case is not the bone. You know, the case is everything. It's the approach. And if you can do a very artful, skillful approach, it should almost be bloodless but it exposes the tissue well. It causes less trauma to the tissue. It allows you to see what you're doing on the bony side so you can prepare and place your implants as best as possible. But it also allows for you to repair and restore the tissue at the end of the case as anatomically as possible, which can prevent dislocations, prevent complications, and hopefully aid in somebody's recovery and function. So... That's my two cents on the approach. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, please uh, refer this uh, to your friends if you think it would be helpful for them if you haven't already. Um, and if you do have the time, it would be really helpful if you can leave a review if you found this information helpful. Um, and until next time, I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast, a hip episode. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.